Thanks for tuning in. Alan Graham is on our show right now. He's the author of Welcome Homeless, One Man's Journey of Discovering the Meaning of Home. Homeless, no other word better describes our modern-day suffering. It reveals one of our deepest and most painful conditions, not having a sense of belonging. However, Alan Graham, founder of Mobile Loaves and Fishes and Community First Village, is improving the quality of life for a larger quantity of people through sharing his personal story of becoming more human through humanizing others. Alan believes that the more we can give people dignity, the power of choice, and genuine community, the better we'll be able to offer solutions that will have impact on the world at large. And while his missionary work is focused on giving a home to the physically homeless, he also wants to transform the lives of every living person by shifting the paradigm and understanding what it means to be home, quote-unquote. In Welcome Home Less... Uh, Graham delves deep into what it means to be connected to God, the earth, and each other. Kind of a trifactor there. In doing so, he shows us the home we've longed for but never had. Joining us on the show right now is this man, Mr. Alan Graham. Sir, what you do intimidates me, and it also makes me feel really guilty. It makes me feel like I'm doing nothing with my life. How do you feel about the fact that you're making me feel like just a loser? Why you got to do what you're doing, man? You're making the rest of us look bad. Hey, bro, I uh, want you to have zero guilt uh, about anything. So uh, all we're doing here is inviting people into a new way of uh, uh, of looking at things. Right. And uh, how we can serve people and how we can serve each other. So no guilt for you today, Drew. All right. Well, that's all I care about, as long as I don't have any guilt. Um. So, so Alan, why did you get into this? I mean, obviously, you're a God guy. You believe that uh, Jesus is real and that he cared about the, the, the homeless and the poor and the, those on the edge of society. But why did you get into the homelessness thing yourself? You could have, I don't know, gone over and cared about the poor people in Africa. Yeah, you know, Drew, I guess uh, 20 years ago, I had this kind of uh, profound uh, encounter with the Holy Spirit. And I began to develop, uh, at that point in time, a just say yes. Uh, philosophy uh, that I believe uh, places God into my navigational role. Um, and he started moving me uh, into some interesting uh, places. Uh, the first place that he moved me to was organizing a group of churches to provide sack lunch meals uh, to men and women that were getting jobs out of a day labor uh, site. Um, and then several months after uh, being a part of that ministry, uh, he gave me this idea uh, that we could uh, leverage a catering truck uh, to go out on the streets of Austin, Texas every night, uh, taking things uh, from those of us that have abundance to the men and women that live on the street corners. And, uh, and man, uh, when I started connecting with these brothers and sisters on the streets, I felt like I was connecting intimately to Jesus himself. So, uh, uh, he picked a completely ill-equipped guy and then uh, began a 20-year process of equipping me uh, to where I am today. 
Can you think back to the first story, the first life that you remember that you had an impact on in regards to all this homelessness stuff? And I say this with a bit of cheek in my voice because there part of me is is serious that I, I look I live out in the country I live in middle class white white people area right wonderbread city uh, central and so this homeless thing doesn't really I don't see it I don't live in the city I don't see beggars and all that stuff and people laying on grates in the winter time so that they don't freeze to death it doesn't impact my brain day to day like it does so many other people um, so I want you to understand that the part of me is apathetic but a bigger part of me realizes how really apathetic um the world is as a whole when it comes to the homelessness so let's dive into the first story the first person you really remember impacting well i think that was houston flake who is uh, uh, really uh, part of the chapter two what chapter two is all about this is a guy that when uh, Drew, the five white guys from Westlake Hills were founding this ministry. And Westlake Hills is the highest income neighborhood in Austin, Texas. And so um, we're, we're the Wonder Bread people in that particular bubble of Austin, Texas. And God knew uh, that he needed to put in our midst uh, a formerly chronically homeless drug addict uh, convicted felon in order to become our, our eyes and ears. And Houston was on custodial staff of, of my church, and we knew pretty right away as we're business planning, in quotes, uh, this ministry called Mobilos and Fishes that God needed to uh, bring in somebody that knew what they were doing. And he, he did it with an illiterate, uh, chronically homeless uh, drug addict. And, uh, and our relationship began to develop, and it became a powerful relationship of uh, – uh, both of us being givers and both of us being receivers. And uh, Houston was the one that took me through uh, the wall of stereotype, hmm. the spiritual wall of stereotype, and, uh, and and drew me into what I call uh, the bouquet of Christ, which is a, a mixture of urine, feces, crack cocaine, and multi-day-old body odor, wow. and learning how to uh, enjoy that encounter Christ and those aromas. Right. One of the issues I think people have when it comes to God people, you know, helping homeless and poor people and stuff is they always think there's a bait and switch scenario going on. In other words, we'll give you food if you just listen to us tell you about Jesus. What's your pushback on that? Well, uh, I'm, I'm not a fan of those ministries. And, um, and you know, bottom line, the, uh, the men and women that live on the streets are suspicious of that. And, and they tolerate it uh, because they need a meal. Uh, and so what we've uh, tried to do is strip all of that stuff uh, out of there. Uh, we still invite people into the kingdom, uh, but we're there to love and to serve, uh, to feed, uh, and to become a part of their lives on a daily basis. Uh, look, girl, I made a commitment uh, 20 years ago that I was going to get to know every man and woman that lived on the streets of Austin, Texas, on a first-name basis. And I'll, I'll never achieve that goal, but... Uh, I've gotten so far into that goal uh, that not only am I personally known, but the organization is personally known because of that uh, that fundamental philosophy. I'm going to speak uh, just on my behalf. On my behalf, even when I do something nice for somebody who needs it, I still have my ego involved. I still smell my ego. Do you know what I'm talking about? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 
our judging ego. All of us have it. Well, it's not only just the judging thing, but, boy, I feel real good about myself. Ooh, I just helped a homeless person. Ooh, I just donated to the guy in the corner. Ooh, I just volunteered at the soup kitchen. Uh, whatever. Ooh, I feel good about myself. Help us change your attitudes in that. What do you say to us? Well, what I say to you is that what we want to do, and if you look at the last chapter of my book, uh, it is a play on Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, uh, a, a book that I, I'm a big believer in. But one of those habits is to begin with the end in mind. And the last chapter of our book is to uh, end with the beginning in mind. And what I try to do is orient people back to Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. Just after God creates the Garden of Eden, he takes the man, settles him in the Garden of Eden to cultivate and care for it. And this applies to every single one of us. And we've got to stop the hit-and-run ministry or the catch-and-release, fix-and-repair uh, type of ministry, and we've got to be able to dive into the bowels of who you and I are as human beings and do it long term. That's what I try, and this was God's purpose. We don't kick people out of the Garden of Eden. Uh, when you're there, uh, you're there and you're part of the community. But what we've done here uh, in, in North America, and particularly in the United States of America, is we're, we're kicking our neighbors, those who were too created in God's image, uh, to the fringe uh, of, of our society. So uh, I just tell people, let, look, uh, if you want to mitigate this issue, we've got to be in it long term. What do your neighbors think about this? I mean, here you come, you come along and you're building these, these uh, you know, sort of portable housing. It's like mobile home village on steroids. Um Community first village, and and uh, and you're saying to all the you know the homeless, hey, we got a spot for you here. Hey, we got a spot for you here. Next thing you know, these homeless people are living in your shelters. Not shelters. I shouldn't even call them shelters because they're not shelters. They're they're quite lovely little places that you guys are putting up. But what do the neighbors think? Are they ticked off with you for bringing in those people close to their neighborhood? Well, uh, it started off that they were agitated. The not my backyard is uh, alive and well uh, here in the U.S. and in Canada as well. Um, uh, but brother, um, all the crime happens in my neighbor's homes next door, and we're trying to work with our neighborhood next door in order to dial back the crime in our community here. We have no crime in our uh, neighborhood here, so um, it's uh, it's kind of a role reversal. Uh, what what people thought was going to happen never happened, and what they thought was going to happen with us is actually happening in their neighborhood and. And uh, we're here to be a part of their solution as well. Right. I want to follow up that question about rules in your community. And you know what? Now I'm sounding like, yeah, I kind of, I'm sounding old now. I just, I, I just turned 50. I know I'm young compared to some people in the world, but now I'm all about the rules. But I want to introduce you to uh, Tim the Tool. Uh, he's our engineer who likes to push the buttons. Yes, and the wrong ones at that. Tim? Yeah, uh, Alan, while we were just reconnecting with on the phone, I was talking to Drew about one of our local colleges. They have a culinary program, and they're starting to donate their their practice food, for lack of a better word, to sort of uh, people who, who don't have some of their own students within the system. How have you uh, supplied your food, your, your resources for your building your homes? Have you found that as you've gone to the community, other people get, began to donate? How do you get all the stuff that you use to help these people? Well, uh, one of our five corporate goals 
uh, goal number five is to inspire people into a lifestyle of abundance by giving their best first. And we think that your best first, the most compassionate gift that you can give, is your money. And just as in the book of Leviticus, when God exhorts us not to harvest to the edge of our fields, to leave the edge, the closest, first cut, first fruits available to people who live in poverty, uh, we believe that he's calling us to do the same thing with our paychecks. Uh, So we don't go out and solicit stuff. Uh, We solicit money. And then we go leverage that money in the best way we possibly can by negotiating the best deals uh, as close to cost as possible um, and then invite the broader community to come in uh, and help us put these things together. And that, that, that's basically how we, how we operate. Okay. <clears throat> um, Alan, I wanted to follow up my question with, with uh, rules, you know, rules <laughs> in the community, um, because... Uh, again, I want you to scold me when I say something that is just stupid, okay? Will you do that for me, Alan? Yeah, sure. Okay. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I think we uh, we have a little bit of a Hollywood mindset when it comes to helping the homeless. We sort of get this, this you know, string section playing in the background music, and here comes the single mom with the six children, and we we feel all kumbaya about things. And But the reality is there are some... There are some boundaryless people. There are some people that don't get the social um, cues. There are some socially unaware people. There are people that have serious addiction issues. There are people that have criminal backgrounds. Um, so you gotta forgive me if I'm wrong, but you gotta have some rules on the, in these communities, do you not? Well, we have three fundamental rules, Drew, uh, which also turn out to be the exact same fundamental rules that you and I live by. Rule number one, above all other rules on the face of the planet, you must pay rent. You don't pay rent, we're going to kick you out. It turns out that people that pay rent and work hard to pay rent have skin in the game and have a vested interest in what they do uh, that's different than people that say don't want to pay rent. Rule number two is you must be obedient to civil law. Now, I'm not coming inside of your home, Drew, or anybody else's home to see what you're doing in the privacy of your own home. Mm-hmm. But if if you go home tonight and start shooting heroin and you come out with a baseball bat to inflict harm on your neighbor, your neighbors are going to call the police and you're going to be held accountable for that behavior. Uh, and then rule number three uh, is that you're going to live in a community Uh, that has, like, community rules, association rules. As an example, we love pets here. So if you have a dog and your dog poos in the yard, you need to bend over and pick up your your dog poo. And uh, it's just simple rules like that, and those are our rules. Uh, And and the boundaryless people that you talk about, uh, uh, they're living here in peace uh, with the uh, every now and then uh, intersection of, of 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 humanity that happens in everywhere inside of our families, inside of our businesses, yeah. and uh, uh, inside of our communities. When somebody really ticks you off, uh, that that happens, and we 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 work through and around those human situations. Okay, take us, Alan, from the 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 man on the street, the person on the street, the woman on the street, right, the homeless person. Take us from their journey being on the street, how they go from there 
right into one of your uh, community first villages. Can you succinctly help us understand that journey? Yeah, and so that journey begins with the reason that they're on the streets to begin with. And Drew, we believe very powerfully that the single greatest cause to homelessness is a profound, catastrophic loss of family. There's been a nuclear bomb thrown into uh, the nucleus of, of the original cell of social society, their family. And, and many people, uh, you know, have been decades into that, uh, that collateral damage. And so lifting somebody up off the streets is a giant cultural change. Mm-hmm. Lifting them up off the streets into an environment where people actually care about them, uh, where they have the freedom of expression, uh, oftentimes takes months, uh, and then maybe a couple of cases, a, a year or two, in order for them to, number one, trust that this is a real uh, deal, uh, to begin to trust those of us that are now a vital, life-giving uh, part of their lives. So uh, it's, it's not that easy, actually. A lot of people look at these cool houses and RVs and stuff like that and go, God, they ought to be... Uh, really happy, but the reality is it, it's a it's a struggle, but it's a it's a struggle that has about a ninety eight percent success rate for us. So. Wow, really? Yes. Hold on. What do you? How do you deem success? Well, uh, that they come here, they stay here, and they don't leave here. Hmm. See, I, okay, this is you, you and I might not be friends after this comment. Um, success to me would mean that they don't live there anymore, that they've moved on to their own place living in, in, in society, not in, not in your own communities. Yeah, and so that's a catastrophe of how we as a society, as a culture, fail to recognize what home is. And um, I think if you want to understand homelessness, we have to understand home. And there's a, a powerful book that was published in 2008 uh, one of the authors is a, a theologian out of Canada uh, from the University of Toronto uh, named Brian Walsh. But oh, yeah. I yeah. love the book. I know Brian. Yeah. Good guy. Yeah, but, yeah, Beyond Homelessness, Christian Faith and the Culture of Displacement. Yep. And there's, there's eight characteristics of home that flows out of that book. And the first characteristic is that home is a place of permanence. And this transitory society that we live in here in the United States, where we're kicking our kids out at 18 and telling them uh, to go off and uh, go get the best educations and the best jobs. Uh, and the next thing you know, uh, they grew up in Austin, but they now live in Seattle, and uh, you hardly get to see your kids and then your grandkids anymore. This is culturally damaging. Hmm. And so what, what we want is to settle people, to orient back to the Garden of Eden. Uh, the, the original purpose of God was not to move people out of the Garden of Eden. It was to keep us inside that garden. And so both biblically and anthropologically, it makes no sense for us to, to be moving around and being as transitory as we are. Man. Okay, you're you're kind of hurting my brain, but I'm getting it. I really am. I'm so glad that we've had you on the show here. Alan Graham, author of Welcome Home Less, One Man's Journey of Discovering the Meaning of Home. I want to give you a website. It's mlf.org, mlf.org. That stands for Mobile Loaves and Fishes. I want to ask you one more question here, and um, 
This is a little anecdotal. So a few weeks ago, uh, I was chatting with Paul Young, who wrote The Shack, and I said, can you give me uh, some folks that you've uh, you've heard from that The Shack, the book, has really impacted their life? And he told me about a, a guy, a 67, I think, year old pastor from Flint, Michigan, who uh, at one point in time, <clears throat> there was a guy, a, kind of a... A, a, a strange guy that came to the church, and he was creeping on one of the girls in the churches, or in the church, and uh, and he was causing a bit of a ruckus, and so they kind of kept him outside. But eventually, they, as the as the as the church people like to say, they loved on him, and they brought him into the church, and and they and they surrounded him, and they welcomed him in, and they you know part of the community and the whole thing, um, and inevitably, this guy ended up killing this pastor's daughter, murdering her, raping her and murdering her. So that is a long segue into, um, I don't even know what the question is. I think you know what I'm trying to ask, but I don't know how to ask it without sounding like even more of a jerk than I've already been. But I think it has to do with, um, there are there needs to be wisdom in... Yeah, I'm struggling here, Tim. I think no, what I'm I, trying I, to say I, is, it, when you love... Uh, on those that are that the that society is pushed away, um, there's an inherent danger, potential it, danger. But is there though? Am well, I just being a, a yes. judgmental middle class jerk? Well, no, because it it did happen. It happened. So in a sense, you are not a judgmental jerk. But my my guess is Alan's got to push back on that sure, somehow. Sure, sure, Alan. There are middle class folks who've got the coin who want to help and want to be involved. Want to, you know. But then there's the odd person that says, "Ooh, they're dangerous people. These people, they're dangerous." And there's the odd story where they are dangerous. But the exception doesn't make the rule. I don't know. What what am I trying to say, Alan? Well, look, I think that uh, you know, I believe that your conscience, Drew, is the primordial vicar of Christ. So before. Before the word was ever revealed to you and I, uh, to Abraham, before it existed, uh, before we understood uh, the word throughout history, we've always relied on our conscience to ascertain what is right or wrong, or whether we were in the right place or the wrong place, or whether we're around the right person or the wrong person. Uh, so in, in scouting, uh, which I'm very involved in in the, in the United States, uh, because of uh, mistrust uh, within scouting, we now have a policy called it a two-deep policy that no child can be left alone um, uh, without uh, two adults uh, being present uh, in that environment. Mm -hmm. and, and so we have to use uh, wisdom uh, and our conscience uh, to ascertain uh, whether we're in the right place or the wrong place. Hmm. But if I was to look at how many uh, pastors' children uh, were murdered by some weird guy in the United States and Canada in the past hundred years, it's probably a couple mm -hmm. uh, at most. And so what we don't want to do is throw the baby out with the bathwater. Yeah. And that's that's what our tendency is uh, to do, is to blanket every human that c gets cut out of whatever stereotype that guy came from, and then say that everybody's dangerous. And that is not, that's not kingdom thinking. Yeah.
Good for you. I have thoroughly enjoyed this time together, uh, Mr. Graham. Thank you for what you do. Thank you for writing this book and sharing uh, a little bit of your journey with the rest of the world. I really appreciate it, Alan. Hey, Drew, thank you. It's been a blessing, and uh, thank you for promoting this book. I think it'll uh, change a lot of people. I hope so. I hope so. You uh, take care of yourself, sir. All right. God bless. Bye-bye. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, author of Welcome Home Less, One Man's Journey of Discovering the Meaning of Home. Wow. I always get convicted. These guys just... I'm sorry. I'm going back to my ego again. They make me look so bad. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know what? We're all called to do different things. And maybe it's your job to be convicted and give them a platform. I don't know. We'll be right back. Joey and Rory Feek had great careers in country music. Their lives were full. Their family was growing. They were happy and in love with their new baby girl when Joey was diagnosed with terminal cancer. In This Life I Live, Rory invites readers into the remarkable story of their lives. Joey and Rory always knew that God was going to give them a big story. They just didn't know how. This remarkable, moving account invites readers into their journey from life to death and grief and ultimately to something profoundly hopeful. In the simple way they chose to live, they loved each other and were loved deeply. This Life I Live, available wherever books are sold.